first and second service today. My goodness, we're blessed tremendously. I'm going to embarrass him a little bit. David Sturgis, thank you for sharing your gifts with us. The piano, always a tremendous blessing. Then uh, Chris and Brett, John and Jeff, wherever you might be, if you're still in the room, wonderful. Thank you for leading us in those just inspiring hymns. And if it couldn't get, as if it couldn't get any better, Gareth, Olivia, and Julia, Weston, my goodness, beautiful hymn, beautiful hymn, such, such a, an inspiring worship service already. May it only continue if you would bow your heads with me as we have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus is our rock of ages, our foundation, the cornerstone that our faith our very identity is built on, and we are grateful that you have provided a cleft in the rock to hide us in that we might linger with you longer. May we experience your glory today and always. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of John, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. As you're doing so, I just want to kind of set the stage a little bit for you. See, it's Thursday. Jesus has asked Peter and John to prepare the space for the Passover meal. The disciples are following Jesus into a certain house in the city of Jerusalem, up the stairs into this house's upper room, and they recline around the table and prepare to eat. Each one of them has anticipated this moment, partly because they themselves always look forward to a full, formal, indoor meal. As uh, one of our, our high schoolers pointed out to me, hey, weren't, weren't most of Jesus' disciples pretty young? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, of course they were looking forward to a meal. And I'm like, right you are. Uh, they're also anticipating this moment partly because Jesus has mentioned several times how much he is looking forward to this particular Passover meal. And yet, as each participant eagerly anticipates the impending meal, it is impossible to miss the awkward glances that are being shared around the room. There's a proverbial elephant in the room. See, for all of the preparations that Peter and John have done, there's a significant detail that seems to have been overlooked. It doesn't appear to be any servant assigned to wash the feet of those prepared to dine at the table. See, in days when when shoes were unheard of and sandals were an option, uh, one's feet were impossible to keep clean. There were you know, very few and poorly paved roads when there were, no sidewalks for travelers to enjoy. So a, a traveler not only shared the roads with carts and wagons, but also the animals that pulled them. And let's just say that if one ended the day with only the dust of the road on his or her feet, they would count themselves fortunate. For a formal indoor gathering 
around a sacred meal like this Passover. It was unthinkable to remain at the table with dirty feet. There's no doubt about it. Someone needs to wash their feet. But who? Who? You see, because for the same reasons that this was such a necessary job, it was a culturally demeaning role to step into. No one wanted to be the foot washer. If you found yourself being the foot washer, your primary goal in life was to ascend above the level of the foot washer and never have to be the foot washer again. Hence, the awkward glances. Knowing their particular history of seeking social dominance over their fellow disciples, a few at the table no doubt wondered whether or not Peter and John had purposely neglected to find a servant for this task in hopes that one of their fellow disciples would have to lower themselves and serve those at the table. A quick glance to Peter and John reveals their own embarrassed recognition of their mistake, coupled with the fear that since Jesus has kind of placed them responsible for the room and for the meal, perhaps Jesus will require them to lower themselves and serve the others. Aware of both the tension and its reason, Jesus calmly proceeds at the table for a time as if everything is normal. Perhaps in years past, he could have found a greater measure of humor in the situation. However, the full knowledge of what the ensuing 24 hours held for them all the painful reality that with such little time left with his friends, they still did not grasp the most basic tenet of his kingdom. And with that, let us look to John chapter 13. Let's pick it up from verse 3. John chapter 13 and verse 3 begins like this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus himself becomes the foot washer. Foot washing we're going to talk about today. It's become a ritual pra practice in Christianity, uh, perhaps out of vogue a little bit today, but in certain faith traditions, certainly in ours, it's still a, a regular occurrence. Um, and there's several different names for it. I guess the, perhaps the two most common names I'm familiar with are, are these, the Ordinance of Humility. And then there's another name, the, the Service of of cleansing. And both these names are, are very valid. They both are, are great. Um, but to kind of explain these meanings a little bit, perhaps to just phrase it differently, we're going to look at the focus behind each of these names. So the ordinance of humility is about serving through foot washing. And the service of cleansing, that name is more about receiving foot washing, if you will. So we're going to begin today by looking at receiving foot washing. So I want to invite you to turn back to the text to look at verse 6. John 13, verse 6. Here we go. 
This is where the, the fun begins. Jesus is working his way around the table, washing the disciples' feet. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter says to him, You shall never wash my feet. This isn't the first and unfortunately isn't the last time that that Peter directly is like, No, Jesus, you're wrong. You remember there's a, there's a moment earlier on in, in, in the story of Jesus when, uh, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then uh, they give various you know, rumors going around about Jesus, and they say, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter is like, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the prophesied one who is to come into this world to make things right. And Jesus is like, Peter, you're right. And you know what? You didn't even come up with this on your own. God revealed it to you. That's awesome. And then about three sentences later in the text, Jesus says, you know, I'm about, we're going to go to Jerusalem and there's some people there who are going to kill me. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. And you remember the, the, the drastic coin flip there where, where Peter is taken by the shoulders by Jesus and he says, get behind me. And he invokes a, a rather drastic title here. He says, Satan, or Satan, the accuser, the enemy. This is because Peter had just stepped in between Jesus and where he was being led, where he was being called. Peter had actually stepped into the role of the enemy of God's people. And Peter, man, he, he, he just doesn't seem to ever shy away from every once in a while, trying to set Jesus right. So Jesus, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. Question, what is Peter objecting to? Is he objecting to having his feet washed? No, not at all. He is objecting to the one washing his feet, right? Peter is, you know, he's not in this moment understanding the, 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 the symbolicness of this, the ritualisticness of this, he is not claiming to be spiritually pure here, and he is not even claiming to have clean feet physically. Peter is objecting because he believes Jesus is of higher status than himself. Is he wrong? No. But what is the implication of his objection? Peter is saying Jesus... You should not be the one to wash my feet. One of these other guys, they should be the one. They should be the one. See, Peter, he is not so moved by the loving service of Jesus that he says, I can't take it anymore. And he rips his outer garment off and he takes the towel and basin away from Jesus and begins to wash the disciples' feet. No, no, no. That's not what's happening here. Peter still thinks washing feet is beneath him. Peter still thinks he's better than at least one of the other disciples. When Peter says, you shall never wash my feet, he's not saying, I am pure, nor is he saying, my feet are clean, nor is he saying, Jesus, I should be the foot washer. Peter is saying, Jesus, someone else should be washing my feet. I'm better than someone here. It's just not you, Jesus. So how does Jesus respond? He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
Translation, if you do not accept that you are the same as everyone else in your need for Jesus, you don't even have a place at the table. You cannot hold a place in the kingdom of heaven while still holding on to the warped idea that there is anyone out there that you are better than. You cannot hold a place in the kingdom of heaven while harboring the notion that you're better than at least somebody else out there. What does Peter say? Well, you know Peter, never halfway, right? Peter says, well, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus, if getting my feet washed by you gives me a share, well, then I want a little extra, so wash my hands and my head as well. (laughs) Jesus says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And then there's this moment here in the text where where the, the pronoun usage shifts from being singular to plural. In other words, Jesus transitions from talking directly with Peter to addressing the whole room. And he says, and you are clean, but not every one of you. You feel the tension in that statement. Just hold on to it for a moment. (laughs) Let's get our gears turning a little bit on receiving foot washing. There's some, some truths there. We'll come back to it, but for the moment, we're going to move on to serving through foot washing. Look back with me to verse 3. John 13, verse 3. It reads like this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and on and on describing his act of service. John goes out of his way to tell us what is in the mind of Christ that propels him to serve. He's very intentional about this. He, he informs what I would say is Jesus' identity in this moment. What does he know about himself? From what knowledge base is he operating? And he gives us three things that Jesus knows about himself. He knows that the Father has given all things into his hands. He knows that he has come from God. And he knows that he is going back to God. The reason John is determined to point this out is so that we can see the motivation behind Jesus' action. See, Jesus is not serving in order to receive anything from the Father. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus is not serving in order to prove that he is on God's side. He knows that he has come from the very divine triune Godhead. Jesus is not serving in order to earn a trip back to the Godhead. He knows he's going back to God. Jesus is serving because he is secure in his identity of who he is, and he is free to love radically, sacrificially, and unconditionally. Secure in his identity, he is free to embrace the lowest status in the room without fear of the consequences of what others will think of him, what it will do to his image. He knows who he is, and he's free to serve. 
And so I want to say, brothers and sisters, do you realize that it is from this same platform that we should be launching our service, our ministry to one another? Our identity needs to inform our service. Let me put it to you another way. If we seek to serve God and others as anything other than who he says we are, we fall short. If we live our lives believing anything different about ourselves than who he says we are in him, we drown in mediocrity. Your identity in Christ, my identity in Christ, needs to be held tightly in the core of our being so that we might serve as Jesus did. And you know what's beautiful? So what is, what is true of Jesus in verse 3 is true of you and me. Because his word tells me in the book of Ephesians that in Christ, the Father has given me everything heaven has to offer. I don't need to serve God in order to get anything from him. He's already given me everything he has. I get to serve from a place of abundance, not from a place of seeking to obtain. His word tells me in the second letter to the Corinthians that in Christ, I am a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. I don't need to serve God to prove that I have life from him. In Christ, I am born again, and I know that my Father looks down on me as his son before I perform, and he beams with pride. His word tells me in 1 Thessalonians that whether I see the death of sleep before the return of Jesus or not, in Christ, I am guaranteed a return to communion with God for eternity. I don't need to serve God to earn my way back to him. He's promised me that he has gone to prepare a place for me and that he is going to return for me so that we can be together forever. When I accept the reality of who the Father says I am, I'm free to serve as Jesus did. When I fail to serve as Jesus did, every single time, it's because somewhere along the way, I've lost sight of who he says I am. I forget that I'm living from abundance and I start seeking to try and obtain more. Start, some of my motivations might become to, to prove that I'm on God's side instead of recognizing that I have life from Him already. So, if you are anything like me, maybe you're not, I don't know, but if you are, you need to be reminded early and often and in many different ways, who the Father says you are. So let's jump ahead to, to verse 12. Let's see what we see. Verse 12. When he had, had washed their feet, put on his outer garment, and resumed his place, Jesus says to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, 
Blessed are you if you do them. Jesus says, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And in this moment, Jesus has established a ritual that he invites us to participate in. And as we have seen, there are two facets to this ritual. There is serving through foot washing, and there is receiving foot washing. Let's look at serving first. When we wash the feet of a brother or sister in Christ, we have an opportunity to remind ourselves of our identity in Jesus. It should be one more moment of reflection that reminds us who God says we are in Jesus. We have the privilege of kneeling in the very knee prints of Jesus, knowing that we have been set free in Him to serve radically, sacrificially, and unconditionally. We're reminded that though He is our Master, He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We have the privilege in those moments of lifting His name high by lowering ourselves to a posture of service secure in the knowledge that before we ever begin, we already are sons and daughters of God. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Receiving foot washing. When Jesus says you also ought to wash one another's feet, the implication is that you're not just doing the washing. You need to let somebody else wash your feet as well. You need to receive the foot washing. Because in this reception, we have another opportunity to be reminded that we have been served by the God of the universe. We can be reminded that all need to be served by Him and that our need of Him is no greater or lesser than anyone else. And we can be reminded that Jesus declares over us that in Him we are clean. So, uh, next week, as part of our special communion Sabbath, we're going to provide an, an opportunity for you to wash one another's feet, if you so choose. Um, for some of you, you've been like listening today, and you're like, ooh, people actually do that. Um, it may be a brand new thing. If you had no idea this was a thing, that's fine. It's totally fine. The good news is, is that this is by no means a, a required ritual for you to participate in to fellowship with us. Um, we're providing an opportunity for you to participate, totally voluntary. You don't have to participate in foot washing in order to participate in the bread and the cup that will follow later in the service. Um, it is optional, albeit recommended. Um, please feel free to come and, and fellowship and worship with us whether you plan to participate in the foot washing or not. I do want to extend an invitation to you, though. Think about participating. Somewhat of an archaic ritual, I get that. But if approached prayerfully, it is still a deeply meaningful experience for all involved. 
But uh, just, just to fill you in, in case you haven't um, participated here or maybe anywhere else, uh, what, we, what we're, excuse me there, what we will do uh, next week is there's going to be a designated place in the church, typically it's down in the fellowship hall, that uh, for those wishing to participate will be invited to go. Some point during the worship service, um, we'll, we'll take a break, um, and uh, those who want to participate in foot washing will be invited to go down to the fellowship hall. And um, often, either here or on the way or down there, people will, will find a partner to wash each other's feet. Uh, that isn't required. One of the kind of the main rules, if you will, of foot washing is just making sure that no one is left out. All who want to participate, um, we want to make sure that we, we're all in, included in that. Um, I, I was remiss to, to mention this first service, but um, uh, the... Our, our practice, for obvious reasons, is that if, if you are a, a woman and you want to participate in foot washing, it's like try, to, try to find a, a partner who's another woman or perhaps your spouse. Same for you if you're, if you're a guy. Like, don't be like coming up to a, a, a young lady and be like, hey, I'd like to wash your feet. Not the time and place. Um, there probably isn't a time and place. But uh, just saying, uh, let's, we'll, we'll try and, and keep it to... Uh, uh, serving each other in, in an appropriate way. Um, often, often spouses will choose to, to wash each other's feet. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I want to invite you to, uh, um, if, if you're moved to do this, uh, to branch out a little bit. Um, you, can, you can wash each other's feet at home. This is a good opportunity to, uh, to, to serve others. Just, uh, as a, uh, just a thought to throw out there. Um, so here we go. So there's going to be deacons stationed um, along the way to hand out clean, warm water in sanitary basins with clean towels to dry feet after the washing. In uh, our modern context, it's kind of understood that the washing is purely ritual, so don't expect a super like in-depth cleaning by the person washing your feet. That's not really the purpose here. Um, but uh, it's... it's <laughs> It is funny. It's fine. You can laugh. But it is this, the emphasis is on the, the, the symbol of the moment, not necessarily the, uh, the in-depth uh, pedicure, if you will. Uh, after the feet of, of one person has been washed, the water is then is dumped to the side. The deacons will provide clean water for the next participant. Um, there's hand sanitizer all along the way for those who are concerned about that. And... Um, Oh, also, it is common and recommended for the participants to have moments of prayer um, before, during, or after uh, washing each other's feet. Um, and then it is, the whole process usually takes somewhere around 10, maybe 12 minutes, and um, then you'll be invited to return to the sanctuary, and we'll continue our worship service with the communion, with the bread and the cup. Um, that's more or less how, how it goes. Just a... Uh, I want, to, I want to give you three quick little thoughts real quick before we close. Um, for one, on occasion in my life, um, I have met people who regularly attend Adventist churches where foot washing is maybe a little bit more commonplace. And consistently, they kind of make it a point to avoid communion Sabbath because they want to avoid foot washing. Um, and if that is you, I just, I just want to invite you to come to the communion service anyway. Don't, don't let the foot washing be, be a reason to keep you away from, from fellowshipping with us and worshiping with us. I do want to encourage you to prayerfully consider 
participating in the foot washing too, but feel no pressure from your church. It's between you and God whether you participate, but don't let it be the reason that you stay away from communion Sabbath. Uh, secondly, I, I, want to, I want you to consider this. Uh, the culture in Jesus' day was still very much one built on honor and shame. Uh, it was a way, way bigger deal for Jesus to wash the disciples' feet than we can imagine. It just, it just is. It was an incredible thing. Today, washing each other's feet is kind of odd. Uh, it really is. And it doesn't have nearly the same amount of meaning if we aren't super proactive in our approach to the experience. Uh, for instance, the disciples were, would be like much more weirded out about being the one uh, washing somebody else's feet, and every time, just full transparency in foot washing, it's always more uncomfortable for me to have my feet washed than to wash somebody else's feet. There's, there's a 2,000 years of cultural difference there that it's, it's just it's different. So if we aren't proactive about approaching the meaning of this, um, it's... It's just kind of weird, honestly. Um, so, I want to encourage you to experiment and get creative with different ways that perhaps you can develop your own foot-washing ritual of sorts. Not to replace what Jesus instituted, but in addition, if perhaps you find, man, this is just really hard for me to find the level of meaning I feel should be here in this ritual, I want, to, I want to feel this expression deeper. Feel free to experiment and get kind of creative. Maybe you know that in your life, instead of honor and shame, you tend to process things more on a material scale. You sense that giving of either finances or material goods um, is a much more tangible way for you to experience and express your service. Engage that. Maybe you know that in your life, you value your time more than the person's next to you? Just me? Okay. okay. Just, uh, if you see me in traffic, you'll know. Just kidding. Just, maybe volunteering your time, whether it's here, this facility, or somewhere else, maybe that's a, uh, a, a better capacity for you to experience and express your service and that, that means more to you. Um, on, on a more natural level. Whatever that might be, I want to encourage you to give it some, some prayerful thought. In what ways can you further your own um, service expression to help you feel um, what Jesus is, is conveying here? By the way, just to, to let you know, uh, Jesus is totally fine with you adding stuff to help you remember old truths. New ways to remember old truths is totally fine. So feel free. Experiment. Get creative. Try some things that feel like, wow, that didn't really work. Fine. Like, maybe try something different. It's all good. Lastly, wherever you might be on your comfortableness with foot washing, I want to offer this encouragement to you. When we look at the very first instance of foot washing as a Christ-ordained ritual, here in John 13, there's one thing that is painfully apparent, and that is that not a single one of the disciples was in an ideal place. All were, at best, insecure in their identity in Christ, and at worst, were pretty confident in their own superiority to those around them. And 
Just kidding, there was even one in a worse place yet. Because there at the table was somebody who had already determined in his heart to forsake Jesus and to betray him, to give him up to those who want to kill him. His name was Judas Iscariot, and Jesus knelt and washed his feet too. Jesus doesn't demand that you be perfect for you to be welcome at the table. He just wants you to come, and he'll take care of the cleansing. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the love that you so lavishly pour out on us. May we always remember that in you, our standing as a son and daughter of God is sure. May we always remember that because of our standing, we can also have the strength to kneel. May we serve you and those around us well as we live our lives as your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. Amen.